This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Gundungurra, Darawal and Darug people. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and Australia as the modern nation has never come to terms with what was done following colonisation. Well may we say God save the Queen because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 122, the Sunday 22nd of March 2020. I'm Jeremy Sear and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to the country, which is a lot, what's likely to happen, also a lot, but then not so much, and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest host is returning guest host, our very first guest host, Erin Riley. Welcome back, Erin. Thanks for having me back. I mean... It is dragging you to a microphone inside the house from all of the outside running around that you were planning on doing. I think you're going to drop down to the beach. Again, everybody's doing the beach and then maybe go out for a bit of a drink at the local pub, hang out at the library. It's not open, but yes. I've been outside the house once in the last 10 days. It was to pick up my parents from the airport. I did not go inside the airport. What was the solution to that? Like, how did you... So they had to go into quarantine and then... Because you had them in the car. How did that work? So we decided that we'd do five days completely apart from them. Um, and then we now are now quarantining together. The rules do say that other members of the household don't have to quarantine. Because oh, you're um, all in the same – you're in a, out the back of – Yeah, so we all, on live on, we all live on the same block of land. Um, we live in the shed. They live in the big house. Um, Matt's still going to work, but I am um, – at home, working from home, and Abby's been out of daycare. So we've been in – the only things we've done, Matt has gone to work and he's done a couple of runs to the grocery shop, which has traumatised him um, every time, and that's been about it because for of, us. Because of people? Because of the traumatising empty shelves? Because of – Because of people and people just acting terribly. He was dreading going out on Saturday morning to pick up some supplies, but – uh, decided to go to the local fruit shop instead of to the markets and to, to Woolies and wound up having a really good experience at the fruit shop. So that made a difference. He's feeling it was feeling a bit better about that. But we're pretty well stocked. Like we didn't hoard, but we've got enough to get through two weeks if we have to. Um, very fortunately got some flour, bread flour, so I can make bread. That was what I was most wanting so he found that at Ingleburn Woolies this week um so we're ready to go fully offline if we have to it feels to me like um and I've seen some patronizing remarks uh, from the from the boomer generation of like oh you people you you young people are in for a bit of a shock you've never had to deal with that you're like um you have no <laughs> idea what life is like for young people nowadays anyway uh, with housing insecurity and and a general lack, lack of opportunities and yes anyway but more than that, I just think I think what we saw was that this generation, and that includes boomers, because much as they like to talk about the war, they didn't live through it because that's what the baby boom is. It's the stuff people born after the war. Mm-hmm. You're not boomers. Anyway, you weren't there. And even and even the people who were born like during the war, 
don't they didn't have to make decisions during it. It's not like so people who were eighteen when the war ended might have had to deal with it, but the people who were eighteen when the war ended was what? Um, hang on, eighteen from forty-five is my brain doesn't do twenty-seven. Though so they'd be like ninety-three now. Is that right? I don't know. No, let's, let's, yeah. Yes. Let's assume my math is right in the 93. It sounds about right. Anyway. Um, yes. No, I think so. Well, the rumors have it. But I do think, I think that this is so unprecedented in the sense, sorry, obviously the modern world hasn't dealt with a pandemic like this before. Obviously everything about it is unprecedented. But in terms of how it hits middle-class Australians, it's fundamentally different for them because they have never had to consider the possibility of being unable to just get food. Yeah. Unable to, like, this is totally new. They have the, the this is kind of an existential threat to them, where everything else has always been off in the distance a bit. Yeah, which which is how we've managed to develop such a lack of empathy for things like refugees and people like people have got it in their heads that they'd always have an option and they'd never be in that situation, so they don't have to have empathy for the people who are. And this is them being confronted for the first time with, yeah, the structures on which your comfort depends are not unassailable. I mean, I think that's the the biggest lesson I think I've taken away from this so far. Not that it was something new, but I think it has confirmed it, it really is all the 100 years of modern capitalism coming home to roost and uh, a politic that is in large part based on what's for me yeah, and what's in it for me and – it's not surprising that it's come to this, but I think it's it's really quite telling. Well, it almost feels like it's particularly two aspects on which the current government and the current mindset of the people who elected that government. What what is what is their biggest pitch? It's greed and fear, and they have honed those. They have encouraged those. They have developed those. They have fertilized those in the community and built off them. And then when something like this happens. You can't be surprised that greed and fear feed off each other and they're the way people react. Like, they've specifically encouraged – that's the economy they've built. And, in fact, the other point, somebody was – some tweet was like, hoarding is bad except for if it's your, like, fifth investment property. But specifically, what is investment? Yeah. Investment is I'm buying stuff thinking at what I think when people don't value it enough so that I can profit off it when people realize they need it. Like that's the whole idea of that investing. You put money into something hoping that that value will grow because people will need it more than they did when you bought it from them at a lower price. Like that's the whole idea. Well, I mean, for, for many kinds of investment, yes. I mean, in other cases, it's because they want it. Okay, but the investment that's designed to make grow wealth. I think if you invest in a local cupcake bakery – you're not investing in the well-being of people. You're investing in in people's wish fulfillment and happiness. All right. I'll, I'll re- okay. So when you, there's okay, you're right. There are two different types. There's investing in things to make them grow, and there's investing in finite things. Yes. And things like real estate speculation yes. is very much investing in a finite thing, and that's how a lot of the Supposed wealth of the country is in, on, in real estate. It's not real wealth. It's just having pushed up the prices so that people are locked out. And it's like this wealth on paper. It's not like the land has increased. It's not like the land is more profitable, you know, more fertile or they've improved the land. They'll build houses on them sometimes, but a lot of the speculation is just people buying stuff that exists and sitting on it and waiting for the price to go up. Yeah. And, yeah, that's been a huge part of 
what in the last 20, 30 years the Liberals have encouraged as a you know mechanism for being comfortable. They've encouraged people to hoard, hoard, hoard land, yeah, basically. And now, of course, people hoard other things. It's the same sort of, it's the same mindset. And the mindset of no one will look after me. Yeah, it's the lifters and leaners thing. It's the, and to be honest, I understand people who watched how this government responded to the bushfire crisis in particular, then turning around and saying, you know what, they're going to do bugger all for me, so I better look after myself. I don't endorse that attitude. I don't think it's a helpful attitude, but it's a completely understandable one. Yeah, and particularly because you can um, rationalise it in a way that mitigates against the selfishness of it by being like, I've got a responsibility to my family. Oh, yes. See? The magical I'm not a selfish my family line. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing it for my family. Like, it's it's slightly outside of me. It's not that far outside of me. Like it's, But it's you can see how people are being like, yep. no, no, you're a selfish kid if you hoard and it's just one of you. But if you've got a family that you're hoarding for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which, again, is a part of the way that we've built up the idea that people with families are more valuable human beings and better human beings and should be treated. You know, that's been a whole rationale for every budget for the last God knows how long. Yet the way that actually manifests is it uses the language of family to benefit the upper middle class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, don't. <laughs> poor, poor families. It's not actually about families. <laughs> well, it is, but but only, but yes, only only at a certain end. Yes, yes. like poverty. The biggest division is the wealth one, and that's the one that will. It, it did seem so. Look, let's talk about what's just happened because this podcast is going to date immediately anyway. But yes, context is important. So we're recording this on Sunday afternoon, and what's just happened is that I think New South Wales has just declared a lockdown. Uh, in the next 48 hours, Gladys Berejiklian is saying that New South Wales will go to essential services only. And I suspect Victoria will do likewise, and I think they're pushing in COAG. Well, it's not even it's not COAG now, it's a special virus committee yeah. of the premiers and things, isn't it? It's like a... Yes. I mean, it's effectively COAG. Yep. I think it's cabinet plus COAG, isn't it? No, that sounds right. So, and they're pushing you to close the schools what, on Tuesday or something. Well, she said schools will be open tomorrow, but she'll have more to say about that tomorrow, which I suspect means it'll go to, and, and this is just me guessing, but I think it's an educated guess. I think it'll go to um, medical and essential staff's children only. Um, <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine that one? Your your mum or dad has been uh, is away anyway because they're quarantining themselves effectively, from, which has happened a bit. Um, or they've just been incredibly busy. Like other people's parents are at home, but your parents are, are at work because they're in essential services. And then everybody else gets to stay home from school and you have to go to school. <laughs> like that is going to be a very angry cohort of this generation. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> that seems profoundly unjust to those kids. I suspect the older ones, the ones old enough to be fine, like to be truly indignant about that, will be old enough to stay home by themselves. <laughs> Yeah, probably. Um, pretty rough. Did you see that um, Scummo was doing his... Because a lot of parents have been taking their kids out of school anyway, obviously. Yeah. Our kids, your kids are all too young for that to be an issue. Well, we've taken Abby out of daycare already. Yeah. And my, I think my, I suspect that my other daughter's daycare will shut down, but that's a, that's another issue. So our kids, though, obviously have been at home with me. And so Denise is now working from home as well. The, the thing that was getting me the most about her going in was going on the train. She had to go two different trains. And when I had to go to the city a week and a half ago, it was 
just terrible. I'm just sort of standing in the corner, sort of trying to face the wall and not like confront anything. You know, opening pre- opening the doors with your elbow, that sort of thing. Just, yeah, yeah. Um, that was a week and a half ago. Like, I, although that said, it's not so bad now because if you get on the train, there's hardly anyone on it. <laughs> Where were we? Oh, so um, yeah, Scummo with his kids in the school. So he was playing funny buggers about whether his kids were in school or not this week because he's saying that the kids, that the experts, and we've had this huge issue with. Who are the experts they're relying on? Because the chief medical officer was a, like, he's a nephrologist and not an immunologist. And we had last Sunday where he's like shaking people's hands. And then in the afternoon, they're like, no, he probably shouldn't do that. But he's completely, the information in the morning is like, yeah, don't be so worried about it. And they've had to sort of walk that back. Uh, so when they say the experts tell us this, nobody has any confidence in their experts. Yeah. But also when, when Morrison is like, you should be sending your kids to school and he's just staying home. And he's, he's trying to duck it. He's saying, we say my kids are enrolled. Like, you've got, yeah, well, they would be, wouldn't they? Even if you were keeping them home from school, that doesn't answer the question. And he's got no credibility. Like, you can't trust anything he says after the whole lying about being in Hawaii thing, the lying about Brian Houston being, asking for Brian Houston to go to the White House thing. Like, he lies reflexively and defiantly. And that really bites at a time like this because the stuff that he tells us, nobody has any faith. And you can tell that people don't have any faith because they've been panicked by it. Like, they're out there saying, nothing's wrong, it's all fine. And people are going, yeah, buy it. Not, not going to risk being starving on that. Don't trust you. And it's funny that we sort of have the same situation as they have in the States with, with Trump. Um, because, of course, Trump has zero credibility. Uh, on Because he will lie about everything up to and including his weight. Um, that, yeah, okay. Maybe that's more understandable than most things. Uh, but you, saw, you saw the footage of him, that, that shot of him, like having crossed out coronavirus from his talking notes to write Chinese virus on there. Yeah. What? But it just shows that when you, it, it's the classic boy who cried wolf problem. When you squander your credibility on things that don't matter, when it does matter, it's gone. But it's almost like, the part of the, the bit that's really galling about this is that the more that right-wing governments like you know, like the Trump government and the and the incompetent scummo government, the like mini mini Trump government. Um, the more they run government badly, the more they then reinforce people's ideas that governments shit. You can't do gov- governments. Yeah, no, we're all we're all better to fend for ourselves because government's unreliable and terrible. Look what it's doing right now. And you're like, no, that's just because you keep electing incompetence. Government run by incompetence is shit, but don't vote for them. Vote for the ones who actually take it seriously and will run things properly. Well, I'm not even sure it's incompetence so much as a deliberate um, undermining of government. And this is this is the fundamental issue with our political situation and our you know 21st century political reality is that we only have one side of politics that is actually invested in government working well. Yeah, and the other ones just want to actually benefit from it being bad. Yeah. From fucking it up. They go in there, they fuck it up, and then people are like, well, I should vote for more for the people who don't care about government. Like, Which is why you often see the left being more willing to compromise on things because they believe in government. They believe in the project. They There is virtue in making things work. Whereas, I mean, I, I granted I know American politics uh, a little probably in a little more detail than Australian politics um, just because of my background. But certainly over there, you know, Mitch McConnell basically said it's in our best interest to make sure Obama can't do anything. But even now when they're in government, it's in their interests to not let things happen. Because if it falls to shit, then people become more individualist and then they vote for right-wing parties. Yep. I don't, okay, I don't have a, what we can do about that? I have no magic solution other than, to keep highlighting that these things are not inevitable, that they can be done better, 
It's just that these people won't do it better, so don't vote for them. Yes. Yes. I mean... When people are like, you're like, make sure that when you're complaining about the the government, when the, when this government does incompetent things, don't call them the government. Refer to them as the LNP. Because it's not the government's shit. It's their shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I with the with the um, Chinese virus thing, I, I could drop in this one of the stupidest things I've ever seen, which is Rita Panahi on Sky News having a whinge about um, the liberals telling you not to call it the Chinese virus. But here's a, a jump, like here's a set of cuts of American news organisations, including the lefties at CNN and MSNBC. They're not lefties. They're really not lefties. Anyway, um, uh, some using of them the term are, like virus. Rachel Maddow is. Lefty-ish, yeah. Yeah, from an American, I mean, in, in an American sense, yeah. And, and I would say that, like, there is no equivalent to Maddow and Australian television. But the news anchors aren't, and no. so they play a clip of, of people calling, and particularly early on when they're referring to a virus from China, like, to identify for people, but calling it the Chinese virus, what did somebody else, some other racist assholes call it the Wuhan flu, um, which is just spectacularly dumb in both ways, because one, it implies it's no more serious than the flu, so it's okay, boomers, go out. Have your coffees. Don't don't stop your Sunday morning coffees just because there's a deadly pandemic that could kill you. It's only like the flu, and let's ignore that it's like 20 to 30 times more deadly than the flu. It's fine. Just go about your business. So it's irresponsible that way. But then the China thing is, like, what is the... Can you tell me what the... I mean, you know, devil's advocate, I'm, I, I, I apologise, but what is the non-racist... No, okay, sorry, there are two reasons to call it the Chinese virus. One is racism. Just soak some xenophobia, get people out there. Just If you're an asshole who hates Chinese people, then okay. Then you're trying to attach this to Chinese people and you add in some little slurs about, oh, it's because the Chinese people are unsanitary and eat bad shit at the markets. And it's like, and you know, look at their, how intensely all those animals are. And you're like, let's pretend that Australia doesn't like factory farm. Yep. So there's obviously racism. But the other reason, and the reason presumably Trump is doing it, because he knows it'll spread because of the xenophobia of his followers, but that's not that doesn't necessarily directly benefit him. The way it directly benefits him is he's been incompetent. There is going to be harm. So deflect, deflect, not me. It's the Chinese. And if you no, neither of those are good reasons to use that term. Both of those are good reasons not to use the term. Well, I'm sure you've seen the clip of Trump's uh, being asked, do you take responsibility for the slow response? And he just says, I take no responsibility. I take no responsibility. (laughs) Like that's the clip that will be played. To be fair, very true. It is true. It is true. No, the buck stops somewhere else. Oh, Victoria's shutting schools, according to her, like my latest update from Denise listening to the radio, I guess. <laughs> yep. Hang on. I've just got a new update on Sydney Morning Herald. This is how uh, how fast things are changing. Things are happening and happening fast. Wouldn't be, yeah, sorry. Yep. Schools schools are going to shut from, uh, likely to shut from Tuesday, according to a senior government source in New South Wales. And Victoria and New South Wales will both be pushing for it at tonight's uber cabinet national cabinet they're calling it i do wonder how the lockdowns are going to affect people with with parenting orders and so forth where they're spending where the kids are traveling between parents because it's already a fascinating issue in terms of exposure because you can't control the kids exposure with the other parent but yeah that had better not i mean presumably there'd have to be some compassionate exemptions to the travel thing so that little kids can still see their parents. I don't think it's no travel. I think it's no... There's no non-essential travel, I think. Yeah. Oh, did you see... Obviously, we saw the that, the giant boat that they let in with into Sydney with the... Oh, yes. Uh, what, 153 or more infected people with the virus yes. just like two days ago? Yes. 
And they just let him in and told them to go and self-isolate. But there were people on boats, Dutton. You hate that. Oh, wait, there weren't brown people on boats, so it's different. There were medical staff at the dock, apparently, like begging to test people and they just wouldn't let them. Well, that's the other thing of the testing because you can't get tested unless you uh, – like this, you've got to be overseas or showing specific symptoms. So if you're concerned you've been exposed – you can't get a test. And the testing is mainly, like, I don't know where those, there are supposedly a few car park tests, but hard to find. Otherwise, you're expected to go in to a hospital and just sit there amongst people who are definitely, like, a bunch of people who are who think they're infected, who are getting tested, and have everybody sit around with them. It's like, great way to spread it. I know. I'm not sure about Victoria, but I know in New South Wales, we now have fever clinics across the state, which are separate. Um they're in hospital facilities, but they're done in a way, like they've been created specifically for this. But how are they isolating people within that clinic? Don't know. I think it varies clinic to clinic, but I don't think it's like giant waiting rooms. I think it's like wait in the car until it's your well, that turn. That would make more sense. That sort of thing. Because originally they were, t- but you could saw the lines outside the Royal Melbourne Hospital and things of people like standing yeah. all near each other to get tested. Like that's, that is not, if we all survive this, I really hope that they have that because the next one could be worse. Like yep. this is bad, but the next, there's no reason why the next one couldn't be substantially more deadly. Yep. Uh, and we're clearly seeing a la contagion. Contagion. I still haven't seen contagion. I've I've got to sit down and and watch. I've, I mean, obviously we've seen outbreak, but that's a bowler, which is yeah much faster. No, doesn't and yeah, it's different. No, Matt and I watched contagion the other night, and it was. Uh, I, we'd both seen it before, but we decided to rewatch it. And um, the next day he said, and Matt's my partner, um, the next day he said, oh, I'm not sure that was a good choice. And then the very next day after that, there was an article in the uh, New York Times titled, Rewatching Contagion was, uh, Contagion was Fun Until It Wasn't. Um, <laughs> and it is a bit like that. But it's it was pretty funny to be watching it and be like, well, that's accurate, but that's not sort of critiquing it from actually living through a pet well, living in a pandemic. Don't know if I've lived through it yet. Did they have competent leaders in Contagion? Are the leaders competent? Uh, there's not really, it's not really much about the leaders. It's about people in the CDC and uh, people who are affected. So it's sort of about Matt Damon and his, uh, his daughter. And then it's about Kate Winslet who works for the CDC and this. Oh, and, um, Marion Cotillard, who works for uh, the WHO and is taken hostage. Um, what? Hang on. So Matt Damon isn't the one who has to be rescued. No, no. He he is uh, he is fine. He is uh, uh, immune, and so he's like the one person who's okay. See, Matt has range. He can play <laughs> people who are continually having to be rescued like all of his films, except apparently this one. Pa- and look, he can play a person who isn't, doesn't have to be rescued. He plays Gwyneth Paltrow's husband, and Gwyneth Paltrow is patient zero. Well, I mean, does he have to be rescued from Gwyneth Paltrow? I mean, that's... Well, she dies about five minutes in, so... <laughs> There's probably something that she's tried to insert. Um... <laughs> yes, we can all make jade egg jokes. <laughs> what the hell is... No, the other. What was the recent? Anyway, no, we don't need to go, don't, don't go down a goop. Yep. Don't need to go down a goop hole. There's plenty of of goop in people's noses and such. Well, no, no, it's sinuses aren't okay. My blocked sinuses doesn't mean that I've got COVID nineteen. Not a sign. Not a symptom. No. Fever. It, it, Fever. Dry cough. Mm. Trouble breathing. They're the only because of my nose. Well, um, 
Anthony Albanese actually retweeted a very helpful thing that was a comparison of the regular flu, COVID, and a cold. And it had all these different symptoms and said which was which. It was quite a useful one. Actually, on the politicians, the other uh, people who I saw recently got ill. Um, so you know how Dutton flew back and was had COVID nineteen. Yes, uh, and he flew back on a plane, and he, you know, and, you know, as you'd as you'd want to, he, he went around and met with all the premiers and all the cabinet, and you know, <laughs> what you want somebody who's got the virus? He's just he's a spread fantastic... it out. Yeah, and and even after he clearly knew that there was something that he should probably be tested for. And, you know, he's the person in charge of the borders and the biosecurity. So, <laughs> what a... <sighs> anyway, um, of the, you know how there were two people on the plane with him uh, who had to, who did come down with it, two women, and he was... And he's added, he, his statement was something like, oh, but they're just two critics of the government anyway. Long-standing critics of the government. But one of them had um, been organising the... You remember we were doing um, fine paybacks for women who in Western Australia yep. who had been stuck in jails? So... And she's in, this is like day nine, and she's in hospital now. She's really sick. Like, she's really unwell from that. Oh, I didn't know that. That's really sad. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. Like, yeah, the number of things you're seeing from people who are of an age group where you would think they would be okay, not necessarily. And I guess an important thing to know about this is it does have quite a long lag time between when you first get infected and when you get really, really sick for a lot of people, um, and that deaths peak about 21 days after infection. So there's something to look forward to. Yeah. So everyone who had a good time at Bondi Beach on Friday. Good for you, Mm -hmm. dickheads. So I'm relieved to see this afternoon we seem to have some developments in terms of actual uh, measures that will help people rather than just everything that Frydenberg's been tweeting this week has been and, and announcing this week has been about business and about jobs and about how, like, not the people, not that in order to protect Australians' standard of living and protect Australian people, like their rhetoric is that that's protected by, that businesses and jobs are the way that you do that. But they, they it's almost like the, the mask dropped and they were just prioritising those things, regardless of whether they help people or not. It's just like, let's throw money at businesses because businesses in and of themselves are the thing that's most important. And jobs are the thing that's most important, not what they enable people to do or even the things that they produce. It's just... Um, yeah, their, their priority is is though is in an, the inanimate object that is a business, which I, it feels like um, business is code for rich person who's like us, because you know who owns the businesses, like people people with more wealth, both yep. in terms of shareholders and in terms of the people at the top of those businesses. Like business is a way of saying, and then the jobs bit is the cop out at the end, where like pretending that this is in the interests of all of us. Yeah. Except, of course, even that doesn't mean all of us because there are because of unemployed people and people who are disabled and so forth. So even then, like it doesn't even it, it's prioritizing um, people in such a way that it completely excludes them. So it's a way of in your rhetoric sounding like you care about people, but only actually caring about the rich and the employed. Um, there was one point of diff- like one thing I think a bit of nuance to add to that is they did announce the seven hundred and fifty dollar for people on Newstart and people on the pension. Um, but then it was being delayed until very recently. Wasn't that being not coming into like June or something? And no, no, it was going to be in April. It was always going to be in April, I'm pretty sure. Oh, that's right. It was going to be when this quarter is over. Yes, April. Rather than, you know, now when we need it. But yeah. yeah. And it, but it's taken a very long time for them to reassure people about things like, <laughs> if you're very poor, you can't buy even when you do see the tins, but you certainly can't. You can't afford to buy the more expensive ones, so the cheaper ones all got you know gobbled yep. up first. It's been 
really rough on people who don't have the resources to stockpile. Yeah. Or even, you know, they stockpile like the bonkers, you know, trolleys full of toilet paper stockpiling, which is mad. And frankly, I don't understand why we haven't had any PSAs. And we didn't have PSAs really quickly from the government being basically, you know, imagine it was like wartime, you know, the, yeah. the anti-hoarding stuff. It should, there should have been so much social pressure on each, all those people. Like, everyone around them should have been like, yep. you know that there's, other, everybody here has, like, it should have been that these people were, like, shamed into putting the things back on the shelf. Yeah. It yep. should have been a huge public campaign immediately of being, so that everybody who, who was even thinking about it felt, no, I better not take that, take on that social disapproval to that extent. Whereas people were just sort of quite shamelessly doing it. And that's one of the things that, again, there's no being no trust in the, no credibility for the government, no trust in this government undermines their ability to do that. So Scumbo coming out and being like, you shouldn't be hoarding, like two weeks later or something. Yeah. Yeah. Does it help? It's redundant. Like, you need to be out there convincing people that... And you need it if they'd done it earlier. So I think two things I would suggest should have happened earlier. One is the supermarket should have had a system where as soon as something got down to below 50% stock, as soon as like so, or there was a you know something was being sold out, like huge um, chunks of it in one go, particularly across the whole country... There should have been an immediate shutdown to be like one of that item. Like it should have been, they should have had systems to stop runs on goods already. And if that had happened, they wouldn't have had the secondary run because of people going there to buy normal items and being like, shit, I'd better buy a bunch of stuff because now I'm, now I'm worried. Not because I was originally worried. I originally had trust in the system, but now I've seen it fail. Now it's going to fail harder. It's basically, you know, like a run on the banks, that sort of thing. And so both of those things needed to happen. The, the, The supermarkets have shown that they don't have those mechanisms in place. Like, or, you know, capitalism has shown that it doesn't have those mechanisms in place. And the government has shown that it doesn't have those, doesn't have the credibility and it doesn't take these things seriously enough until, like, so late. How did it take them so long? And they still haven't done it effectively. Like, now the stockpile, the, the hoarding has kind of stopped in the sense that there isn't anything for people to hoard. Well, but- no, the, the, there's a lot of stock. Because remember, it was never an issue of the amount that was available in the country. It was about the amount that could make its way to supermarket shelves, which is largely, and there's a big, um, a, a broader point here, which is about the ideas around just-in-time delivery and basically the fact we have stripped all margins from almost everything we do. That we, you know, that supermarkets don't store things on site. Everything is just-in-time delivery. That uh, hospitals don't have extra beds, because we don't want un, uh, that that extra capacity huh. that is being unused. That there's this, and again, it's it's a capitalist. It's a result of our modern capitalism um, that we have. Because you can't, they rationalise it down. It's got to be productive now. Yes. If we're going to be providing something. It's got to be producing. We can't have backups. Yes. We can't have. Yeah. You're right. So we've got. There's plenty in the country. There's plenty of toilet paper in the country. We're not going to run out. There's plenty of flour. There's plenty of food. But we're going to run out because we didn't hoard any. But we're going to... Well, no, but the shops are running out because they don't have enough stock for people to buy more than average because everything is done on these models of how much do we do it? And there's no give. There's no give in the system. The same way, you know... uh, airlines plan for a couple of people not to board or, you know, they do in the States. And then if by some miracle everyone shows up, they have to offer someone to get off because they've created a system that is just based on averages and models and... 
And if people get stuffed around by it, well, you know, if, as long as it doesn't happen too often, it's still profitable to do it the other way. Yeah, or you can pay people off to take a later flight, which is what they do, and it's still cheaper. Like it's cheaper for them to do that to pay people off than it is to not overbook flights because it's more valuable to not have that seat empty than it is to have to pay someone off to take a later flight. And yeah. it's that model applied across our whole economy. It's that no give, no space, no inefficiencies. Which is fine as long as nothing goes wrong, but then when things go wrong, the system's fucked. Or it's fine as long as nothing changes. But it's not a system that's built for rapid change. No. And it, it, it could be going wrong. It could be going right. It doesn't matter. There's a lot of different ways. But it's almost like the dinosaurs thing. You know how they the, the ones who survived, the, sorry, the ones who were really pr- successful at a certain, uh, when the climate was a certain way, like had evolved perfectly for that niche. And that was fine. And then the niche changed and they were completely stuffed. They couldn't yep. do that. They'd, they'd finally evolved into that spot. Yep. And it was, yeah, only the ones that, hadn't yet got there and and it's always like yeah we've kind of as evolved the system into well the analogy is obvious yeah, yeah into a, yeah. Into a way that, it, that it's it's okay as long as there's no change but there will be change our economy was perfectly evolved for december 30th why december 30th because i'm just using that as a cutoff before anything because it wasn't at the 31st it was first reported oh, bushfires no no bushfires? I'm, I, no i'm thinking covid wasn't that the first oh. Like it was a. I think that the, the bushfires were already screwing us. That's the, the, true. The unprecedented bushfires. So I think we really back to it was evolved okay until like June last yeah. year. But you you take my point that it was a system that, and I I, I mean yes the bushfire and the bushfires were complicated and had different, but it didn't grind our whole economy to a halt the way this is. No, which is weird because it did in fact like I saw today that the oh, in fact this I think came out last week but it was being more publicised today. Uh, the bit about how the the smoke killed more people than the fires themselves. Yeah, from the bush. Yeah, and like you saw those shots, and and we kind of it, it staggers me that the government got away with not even having a proper approach to that. It's not like you know if you were genuinely worried about I can't breathe, there were places to go. It's not like the government was providing air filters in public libraries and stuff. It wasn't like they didn't they didn't do anything, yeah. um, and because people then got sick. But separately and not in one giant group like this one, they kind of got away with not having to do anything about it, and it's that's terrifying. It means that it'll happen again, and there's no they, they haven't even adapted the system now. Yep. What makes you think in the next year if Sydney's again unbreathable for like a month that you'll have some way of going somewhere? Unless you, but it's I suppose it's the classic thing of like with all of these things, if you're rich, you can spend the money to survive it, and the powerful people are in that camp, so they don't have any incentive to change it. Uh, sorry, I've just seen the statement from Daniel Andrews come through. Yeah. I will inform National Cabinet tonight that Victoria will proceed over the next 48 hours to implement a shutdown of all non-essential activity across our state to spread the uh, combat the spread of coronavirus. This is not something we do lightly, but it is clear that if we don't take this step, more Victorians will correct, uh, contract coronavirus, our hospitals will be overwhelmed, and more Victorians will die. Still be able to go to the supermarket, the bank, the pharmacy, and other essential stores like petrol stations and convenience stores. Freight logistics and home delivery are also considered essential and will remain open. It's the only way you can stop boomers going to cafes. National Cabinet that school holidays will be brought forward in Victoria to start on Tuesday. Oh, interesting. 
the decision to whether to open uh, to reopen schools after the term one holidays will be determined following advice from the chief chief health officer. Please tell me they've, they're going to put in an actual immunologist or someone who knows what they're talking about as the chief medical officer because we need to stop listening from a person. I don't know what nephrology is. What is nephrology? It's not like I have a magical device next to me where I could literally kidneys. Type it's kidneys. <laughs> That's not hugely connected to um, a resp- like a, a respiratory illness. No, it's not. It's not really his area. Maybe they should be like. A, a chief a medical council with like expertise in different areas of things that might confront the nation and then you have the people who are giving the advice being the ones who are you know associated with that area uh, but in this case it will be uh, determined by the Victorian chief health officer not the national okay well I have no idea whether they what their specialty is my only concern with that is framing it as a um, as schools holidays being brought forward. Uh, doesn't say anything about daycare because daycare doesn't have holidays. Yeah. They'd have to shut it for the same reason. You'd think, but... The difficulty with daycare, of course, is that that's, a, I mean, even more fundamental. Like, those those children need a person at home. And so if they're essential workers, where do they where do their children go? And, yeah, and then are childcare workers and essential workers? And working from home, like... You can't even those people who are working from home doing their jobs and you know, being like, well, I could look after the children while I'm working from home. No, Be, being a being a parent of a little child is a full time job. It's not overly compatible with doing other labour at the same time. I've been doing that all week. Do you know what my week has been? I can I can yep, get up good. get up between four and five, spend two hours working before Bub wakes up because I'm fortunate to have a late waker. Mm-hmm. Abby gets up. I will let her watch. Uh, TV for an hour while I get an extra hour of work done. Yeah, thank God for Bluey. Yes, and for Moana and Nausea. Um, then I will... <laughs> what's what's Matt singing a lot of the, at the moment? <laughs> it's okay, it's okay, we're dead soon. Um, then I will... Then I play with her for a bit, try and get her to do a, like a writing activity or getting some, some preschool resources to try and keep her education going. Uh, then lunch, then she goes down for her rest, during which time I do another two hours of work. Then uh, work, play with her, do the stuff. Matt comes home at about four because he starts quite early. Um, then I spend another hour working while he's – so he takes it for an hour. Then we do dinner, bed, and then after she's in bed, I do another two hours. And that's how I get my eight hours in. I am exhausted. Yeah, no, that's not sustainable. I am so tired. But my contract only has another couple of weeks on it. So there, there is a there's a lot um, of a mindset of that raising children is not a job. Oh yes, that it's just a it's just hanging out. That is not the case. Oh no, <laughs> you negotiate everything. Oh, I'm you know obviously different kids, different stages, different things. Mm. But uh, do you have three year olds now? No, they're, they're the girls the girls are not will be three in May. Okay, so close it, but you know. Late twos, mm. what I've discovered from having a three-year-old so far is everything is a negotiation. <laughs> How many bites of each meal? Which shoes? Which <laughs> She's decided she she, don't, <laughs> she doesn't want help getting dressed. Like, Evie, do it. Evie, do it. Yes, yes. So it's like you come in with like, you know, a leg through and like one arm, like an arm <laughs> over the top of where the, through the neck hole. And it's like, no, Evie, do it. Oh, okay. Abby's current thing is to uh, tell me when Matt tells her to do something she doesn't want to do. 
So she'll come to me and say, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy said a bad thing to me. He told me I had to eat my dinner. <laughs> oh, she, Evie's doing that. I, I was a complete idiot and I told her. So when, when she's, you know, when they go through a phase of hitting. Yeah. And I didn't want her to, and I wanted to try her to recognize that, that when you hit somebody, it hurts them. Yeah. So I would say to her, no, no, that hurts. That hurt, You've hurt me. That hurts. And I sort of acted like. Because it didn't really hurt. She's just sort of yeah, like, yeah. Sort of waving. But I was, trying to, I was trying to be like, no, that really hurt. Ow, ow. Then she started saying it for everything <laughs> whenever you ask, like, that she had to eat food or something. She's like, please don't hurt me. I'm like, you don't want that being said out of context too. Like, no. it's, she's a, a technique of trying to convince her to you know, realize that there is a consequence to hitting people that backfired badly. Spectacularly. Yeah. So don't... Don't do that. We one. just get, Mummy, you hurt my feelings. You said I couldn't watch my iPad. <laughs> I had I had my niece at one point at Christmas. I think she was she I think she had a tantrum or something about about uh about a, a present or something. And I, I did the same thing to show her how um silly it was. Like I was trying to you know, I don't know that but I made, made I wasn't a parent at that stage. But anyway, I was yeah. like, Oh that's something and she came over to to my brother, um, who who I was reacting to, and she she hit him and said, "You broke you broke Uncle Jemmy's feeling. You broke my <laughs> oh, he broke my feeling. Oh, that's very cute. But yes, <sighs> parenting is hard, and parenting while working is in the house, and we're all in the house. And Abby misses her friends and wants to go to daycare. It's so and, rough. They can't oh. see that. They they just want to see their friends, and they not. It's just horrible. It's heartbreaking. It's they don't understand why. Yeah, no, it's it's not a fun. If they're old enough to realize they're missing out, and they're not old enough to e- grasp even the like. Abby knows about the sickness, and we tell her that we have to be careful because of the sickness. But that's about. And I've taught her COVID. She knows the word COVID now, but that's about as as far as we've gotten. Yeah. <sighs> Well, at least at least the government is now doing some actual positive things. So yes. you were just telling me what you'd seen on, online in terms of actual helping people rather than just it, – it always felt like whenever they do something for people, it's got all these strings attached. Yes. And always, it's like when they – with the firefighters, where they, all of the strings that were attached to getting any support for the for the time spent firefighting and, and, not, and not being able to do your paid employment. You know, the, remember the, the, the unbelievable caveats and the, the shonky bits that they put around those yes. payments? Yes. Oh, Yes. Whereas with business, it's like, here, just take, take it now. That's fine. Money. Don't worry about it. <laughs> that's, yeah, no, we trust you guys because you're business and business is never shocky. It's just those damn poor people and volunteer firefighters we have to be careful about. But you're saying that, that we, you know, I having that experience, I'm instinctively wary about whenever they're actually claiming to do something nice for ordinary people. But from what you described, it sounds like they may actually be taking it seriously. Well, I think an important uh, bit of context, or well, an important thing to realize here is that it's affecting their voters yes and that naturally makes everything different but uh, i'm just pulling up the coronavirus rescue package you're saying they were doubling new start so is that for everyone on new start immediately the for new start is everyone doubled. on new start immediately but it's not it's a they're calling it a coronavirus surcharge not surcharge but something like that it's it's basically they're doubling it for six months but only for coronavirus. As I said on Twitter, as soon as it was announced, we need to organise and make sure that it is permanently doubled. 
Yeah. Um, we need to make sure this never goes away. It's very difficult to take away a benefit once it's there. Let's make it even more difficult than normal. Let's fight like you know what to uh, maintain this extra amount. Let's fight to raise taxes in order to pay for it, whatever we need to do. <laughs> As opposed to apparently the, the dipshit um, Victorian opposition leader is now calling for a reduction in land tax supposedly to help owners and tenants. How would that help tenants? Land tax is one of the most equitable taxes. It, we should Land taxes should be massively increased. Oh, yeah, land tax is brilliant. The idea that people would just sit on land, yeah. block it off, and then just make vast money, and, like, that land not be used, and they not be taxed for it, they just sit on this vast asset that's an, a community asset because the land is finite. No, yeah, no, that should be taxed as... Blood. No, buggery, Look, anyway. I think the whole thing about this crisis is it has shown that the right-wing theory of government, theory of the economy, and theory of society doesn't work. Nope. It's, it just doesn't. Like, we're all bloody Keynesians now. Hmm. Yeah, no, including, like, the British government. Not, not yeah, the Americans haven't got there yet, but yeah. No, that they have. They're doing $1,000 payments to everyone. Yeah, like, I mean, they'll still wrap it up in their usual rhetoric, but... They're all bloody Keynesians now. So it's the yeah doubling of Newstart for six months, which while, yes, there is a lot of reason to be cynical about the motivation, let's not ignore the fact this will make a really big difference in a lot of people's lives. I don't care about motivation. I'm just, this. yeah, this is, yeah, yeah. This is a 100% unalloyed good. It's great. It's great. An unalloyed good. I, I fear that they will yep. rip it back as quickly as they can because yep. this it is... Contrary to everything they stand for. Yep. But that is an unalloyed good. And another thing they they announced today was that Australians can have early access to up to $20,000 from their superannuation if they face financial hardship due to the coronavirus. That's pretty terrifying, though. That does not sound like a good... Well... It's a, a, you need to have a decent amount of super. B, it's just massively plummeted for pretty yes. much everyone. I'm, I'm, not, I'm too scared to even I, look at I looked one. at mine. Uh, I'll be very open. I had $150,000 in super um, about two months ago. I now have $120,000 in super. Shit. So I've lost a th- fifth of my yeah. superannuation. I don't, I don't want to know. I'm not, I'm, anyway, so I don't think that's a good... And also... You know, so this is not the time for people to be even to be taking that money out of their super, and it's a short. And there are many people who need who would be in situations where they need help who don't have that available anyway. So it's not. I don't. I don't think that's a solution for anything. No. That being said, you know, if you do need to in, uh, to inject some cash into the economy, it's not a great way of doing it. But it is a limited amount. It is over. It's ten thousand dollars per um, year. So per you can only do ten thousand this financial year, ten thousand next financial year, and I know for me at least, I mean, I'd prefer to leave it there. I don't want to touch it. Um, but if worst came to worst, we're in a really tough financial spot. I'm glad at least we have that as a backup. Um, I mean, you all, but you always had that option. You can always access if you, you can um, persuade the super fund that you're going through severe hardship. You've always been able to. Yeah, I think withdraw it's. It. I don't think there's. And I think that's essentially what it is. It's just making that process a little bit easier, publicising it a bit. I don't think it's a a huge. It's always been the case. You can take the whole amount out if you if you're if you're genuinely if you can show them there's a need. Like, but the reason why that threshold is there is that you're trying not to have people eat into the super. Like, I'd rather that we just had a decent pension system and we didn't have um, 
super, I'm not convinced that soup is a great thing in the first place. But. Oh, yeah, no, me either. Um, and the fact that a lot of people are going to lose their jobs now, maybe would be thinking about retiring anyway, and they're retiring at just when their super's taken a massive hit. Um, yeah, it's a bad. Yeah, it's, it's a bad system. A, a decent pension system for everyone is a better system. Yeah, a more equitable agree. system. But anyway, that's so. Okay, that's not so thrilling. Doubling new start is huge. The other thing I don't quite get the idea of. So maybe you can explain why economic stimulus is a good idea at the same time as they're shutting down all the shops. Like people, we you should certainly certainly need to be increasing things like new start so people can live. Yep. So you can buy groceries, particularly when they're costing more because the cheap staples are going and so forth. But I don't quite get the idea of give people the, the, the stimulus money to go out and stimulate because you can't stimulate an economy when, when the shops are shut. I don't think that it, it's much of a stimulus thing. I really don't. I mean, if they want to do it, they should hold that bit off, the economic stimulus stuff off, for when the shops open. Yes. No, but uh, the, no, the 10000 isn't for stimulus. The 10000 is to um, for people who are in economic hardship. Sorry if I was unclear about that. The payment, the stimulus payments are, though, they're supposed to be for stimulus, and they really are. That money isn't good. That's that's more helping people keep a roof over their heads at this point. It's not it's not stimulus. Yeah, and the way the people it's targeted to, and it's not really stimulus. I mean, it's putting money into the economy in a way that means it's most likely to be spent because yes, uh, people in the lower income quintiles have the highest marginal propensity to spend, but it's not the sort of seven hundred and fifty dollar K rod stimulus, which I again, yeah, I think you're right. I think we'll see that kind of activity. Um, maybe who knows a year, eighteen months, six months. Let's anybody guess right now. It's a bit of a help for them, really, in in some way. So, this is an opportunity for them to not be shit for a minute. Yep, they have been shit. They've left everything to the last minute. They've taken way too long to like. We we are going down the Italy path, and the fact that on Friday people were still. I mean, last weekend we with Sugar and I were talking over the weekend about the the bonkersness that on Friday he's saying we're going to shut down venues over 500 and on Monday, like why 500? That's an awful lot of people. Well, hundred is fine some for some reason, but also not for three more days. That makes no sense. And now, and they left us. They just kept compounding. It feels like every day they left it was compounding the error. And I wonder how much it's going to all be forgiven if they, if, if we all sort of have to band together and, and, the mad behaviour at the beginning of this sort of dies down. And, like, I wonder in the Second World War, at the beginning, were people shit like this? You know how they remember it as being, you know, everybody did pull together and, you know, we, we all realised that we had to act as a community and so forth. It feels like maybe that wasn't immediate and that maybe what we've just seen is how it started and then over time, out of necessity, people had to sort of pull together. And that maybe... And then, and then you forget about the shit stuff at the start because you never hear people talking about how terrible things were at the beginning of the war when people were being assholes and hoarding and stuff. And some people were shit throughout. Some people did hoard. Some people did, you know, counterfeit ration stuff. Some people yeah. did. Like, there are always shitty people. That's true. I, I wonder if this government's going to be able to come good in the sense of even though it's been incompetent and things are going to have spread, but by virtue of finally having to come around to some kind of economic realism and that the positive consequence that will flow from now making the right decisions, even if they would be better if they'd been made earlier, yeah. can they come back? Um, and and if, if they come back having learned that lesson, you know, is it necessarily the worst thing? Yes, they're all terrible people who do terrible things and their instincts are always terrible. But, you know, if, if even the terrible side of politics has had to be brought around to some kind of sense... 
I don't know. Do you think? Do you think that's where where it's going now that they've now that finally today on Sunday the twenty second of March? Because up until today, it's really felt like every single one of their instincts is terrible and is causing harm. But now they're being forced into doing what they should have done earlier. Um, Can I be really dark for a minute? <laughs> not on this podcast. This podcast is a podcast of light and joy. Levity. I have no clue. I have no clue what's going to happen. I have no clue what's going to happen next week, much less what our politics looks like in six months. I think that this is a really scary time. And <laughs> okay. I don't know how our, our ability to eat and, and manage is going to survive this at all. So, and, it, and, and you'll note the whole thing of the workers who we're now relying on are the people who we underpay and treat like shit. And then we're like, sorry, I've just had an announcement from Matt. West Australia. Yeah. Closing its border. Mm-hmm. And they're investigating resuming Rottnest Island and using it as a place that it can send people for their compulsory 14-day quarantine. Okay. Um, <laughs> the border thing they're, they're all going to do because, like, they do yes, love, well, they South do love Australia's, borders. South Australia's done it too. Yeah, no, so. nobody's going to not – nobody's going to be like, we're the only one that borders – like, yeah, it's, everybody will do it. It's weird because we don't have that infrastructure anyway. But the, the rottenest thing. Are they aware? This is the problem with the lack of having ever addressed what we did in our past. There's way too much ignorance about what those things were and meant yeah. and why they're terrible ideas. And people, people would be oblivious to it. They'd be like, where's Rottenest Island? Never heard of that before. Is it nice? <laughs> Seems good. Why not Where all the quackers are? <laughs> Sounds lovely. There's no, reason, <laughs> there's no reason to be worried about you know, sending human beings off there. Maybe they can build something while they're stuck there. Again, quackers. Mm. Quackers. <laughs> wow. I know. The other thing that I think is really interesting is in the US, uh, in King County, Washington, they're setting up genuine field hospitals. They're setting up tent hospitals on soccer fields because they're expecting within the next 10 days, things are just going to get so bad that they'll need them. They've already purchased two hotels that they've converted into temporary hospitals. Oh, what was that? What was that hotel chain in the UK where the guy, the owner's just given it to the NHS? And then there was oh, being contrast. Oh, I didn't know about that. It was, there was like, this billionaire owns hotels. Here he is giving them to the NHS. And here's Richard Branson, who's like demanding that his workers, what was it? He was, uh, that, they, that they survive on nothing and... What was the what was the Branson? I've now blocked it out because there's too much dictionary. Oh, you just. But it was like don't 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 be a dick. Don't be a dick, Branson. Well, also, uh, and and good old um, what's his name? Amazon Bezos, who oh, decided God. to ask Whole Foods uh, employees to donate their vacation leave so their other colleagues could take sick leave. The wealthiest man in the world <laughs> wants workers. In supermarkets to donate underpaid workers, he already doesn't pay them adequately. Yeah, Uh, what was the thing where uh, there was like the is it was it Lauren Ingraham or something where she was making some remark about how heroic supermarket workers are and how we all depend on them, but she's also like on the record opposing you know them being paid fifteen dollars an hour or anything. Yeah, yeah, you're you're vital people. The nation needs you, but you certainly shouldn't have a living wage. (laughs) Oh, it's just, it's, the news is just coming pretty quickly today. I wonder if it's because we crossed that thousand threshold. I don't know. No, it's because, it's because we're recording an episode of the podcast that, that immediately causes all the news to happen immediately afterwards. Yes. Well, it's happening during, so, you know. These are unprecedented times. 
There's special times. Everything has gone so so much to hell that even in the middle of a recording of, of Well May We Say is the effect kicking in without even waiting for us to finish. It's true. It's true. It's like the world doesn't even care. I was really hoping to get Abby a, a trampoline before everything shut down. But hmm. I don't think that's going to happen now because... That's a really dark thing to end on. Like the Abby sitting there looking out the window at the place where her trampoline isn't. That's not a happy note to end. It's okay. She has a swing. And I have this adorable video of her singing, it's okay, it's okay, you're welcome, on the swig. So, you know, she, she'll be fine. Are we relying on cute kid stories to, to try and bring some happiness to the end of this? Evie singing like Spider-Man to Jesus Christ Superstar. Adorable children. <laughs> Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Do, do, do. I was trying to get her to do it the other way around. She's like, Jesus Christ, Superstar, does whatever a super... What? No, it <laughs> it's the uh, all-singing, all-cute-kid edition of well may we say well no because they're asleep but um, yes well what do you think about the thing although it seems to have been undone because like china is reopening and, and the pollutions were coming back but the the idea that um may, maybe the emissions and so forth this year will be actually substantially down due to all, you know, all this economic activity being squashed and we might be like oh yeah that um no we, we won't learn any lessons from it we'll just go no. back to doing it no, immediately no. but may, maybe it'll buy us a year who knows did you see all the stuff with the canals in venice and the water's actually clear well see i was wondering about that because i'm hearing conflicting reports as to whether the like, one set's like dolphins are gambling freely in the canals and the other's like no it's just the water's a bit clearer no so the dolphins were in weren't in the canals they were in um, the bay, or like the bay, or the harbour, or something. But even there, they hadn't been seen for a long time, apparently. No, no, and the whales are happy that there aren't so many ships. And yeah, few. Well, the cruise ships being shut down is a massive environmental benefit because those things are toxic, not just to the humans on board, but like outside. Also to the humans on board, though. Yeah, I the number of people who still got on a ship well after they should have been had enough information to be like. Yeah, nah. Um, I'm a big fan of the podcast, Love It or Leave It, uh, one of the Crooked Media podcasts, and he did a hilarious bit in the, not the last episode, but the episode before that, where I've I've forgotten his name. He's the co-host of How Did This Get Made, which is a very good podcast. Have you ever listened to it? I don't know it. they, They watch a terrible movie. And it's a bunch of comedians talking about how to, you know, making fun of this particularly terrible movie. It's fantastic. Uh, but one of the co-hosts of that was on and uh, pretended to be the head of the uh, the cruise association and pointed out that, you know, if people still got on cruises after that cruise ship just rolled over in Greece a few years ago and still got on cruises after the poop ship a few <laughs> years ago, yeah. like nothing was going to stop them. <laughs> just... Well, maybe they hadn't heard of those, but just when you're aware that there's a pandemic coming, I just, why would, anyway, my um, parents-in-law were here from Canada at the time and they were supposed to get on a cruise and they wisely cancelled it and then suddenly flew back to Canada. And yeah, they may, it was, it was at the time we were a bit confronted by it, but it was 100% the right call in hindsight. Bloody yep. hell, they, they were, they were ahead of, whereas um, other boomer parents in Melbourne might be taking more of an attitude of, oh, I can still go out and see our friends. Why not? And you're like, there's, yeah. there's a whole new thing now of, of millennials, as in people who are, what, under 40, having to, com- having to try and persuade their boomer parents to, like, stop going out. and do- There's a pandemic. Well, my parents are boomers and they have been very good. And, uh, I mean, they came back from New Zealand, so they're in isolation anyway. And my dad has motor neurone disease um, and it affects his lungs. So if he gets COVID, 
It's very bad. Oh, let, let me be fair. Hashtag yes. not all boomers. N- not no, all boomers. I'm not in any way suggesting all boomers. As a generation. As ages. Mind you, the, the early 20s, the Gen Zs haven't exactly been covering themselves in glory. I'm enjoying being a smug millennial right now. But that's fine because we're... Well, that's fair, but we were all idiots in our early twenties. That's fine. That's true. Anyway, well, look, let's let's go with the positive idea that maybe maybe we've bought ourselves an extra year on the climate emergency. Look, we've bought ourselves an extra year on the climate emergency. We're demonstrating that a social safety net is essential. Yeah, we're pretty hard to run a whole lot of like, even though the IPA is out there going, hey. Actually, price gouging at supermarkets is good. It's the market working. <laughs> so the only rich people can buy shit. The market works. Yeah. Like making those idiots look more and more absurd. All in all, I think that it's a bad time for the world. And for, for everybody who gets exposed to this horrible virus it, it, and is likely to it's die. It's generally terrible. But if you have to look at a tiny, tiny upside. We're looking for silver silver linings. We're not in any yeah. way. There, there is a big cloud. This podcast has been about the big cloud. Yes, We're yes. saying, can we find a teeny, that big tiny cloud? thing that so might So we be. don't all just, yeah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It, everything is terrible. So while we're all trapped at home with our whoever, wherever at our at our stage in life, whoever our household actually is, so yep. that could be a positive or a negative depending on on where you where you were when the music stopped. I'm very grateful that I am not in the part of my life where I was share housing right now. Yeah, very grateful. I, my cousin was. My cousin was like, we're just uh, cousin overseas, and she was just like, oh, yeah, we're all, we're sitting down to play some board games and stuff, and I'm like. What? Why? Why are you right now? You know, there's a and she's like, I mean, a share house. <laughs> I suppose if you, if that's who you're stuck in the pandemic with. Well, my friends and I have been playing Ticket to Ride over iPad, so we've got a there's a, there's a very good pandemic app. Oh, I haven't actually played Pandemic, so I might have to. You've never played Pandemic. I've never played Pandemic. Oh, dude, look. I've heard uh, it's great. I've been meaning to buy it for ages. I'll probably not be able to find a copy for the next several years because I'm sure it will sell out. But uh, uh, It's a big enough game now. There's probably enough copies around. If you've got enough, if, you, if your parents will play it with you, so you can, it's not just you and Matt, like it's, you, the Pandemic Legacy. Sorry. Oh, yeah, no. Obviously get Pandemic. Legacy, but if you've got more than two people, I've heard Legacy is brilliant. Yeah, no, get the Legacy one, and if you if you've got particularly because right now you're stuck with four people, four grown ups. Yeah, so you can play through the campaign. We we got like halfway through the campaign, and then then two of the people we we're doing it with moved to the country, so it's, we're finding it difficult finishing the campaign. But yeah, no, it's awesome. My my problem is I'm stuck on a farm with three other adults who don't like board games. Oh, Erin, I'm so sorry. I know it's really sad. I'm like. <laughs> But board games are great. I know. I know. I know. Our current current plan, because the kids uh, have got their naps completely out of sync, is that when when one when the little one is sleeping and the other one, you know, has has some distracted entertainment time, then we can play, sit down and do something. And we've been playing through the the scythe campaign. Uh, you, no, anyway. I don't know. Scythe is awesome. Anyway, but, yeah. Look, what I'm saying is, you're in the right place for them to play board games I with know. you. I know. I know. They, that's, that's it's so okay. Wrong. I'm going to find other games that I can play on my iPad with my friends and we'll keep doing that because a lot of my friends are in solo isolation and that sucks. Like my closest friends are um, mostly. Well, so. try, try Pandemic. It has a very good app. Okay. Yeah. What else has a good app? Ticket to Ride has a good app. Ticket to Ride has um, Through the Ages. Is, Through the Ages has an excellent app. I played app. that either. Okay. Uh, the app and the app actually teaches you the game better than sitting down with the physical version, and it's the physical version is a bit of a pain in the backside with lots of little cubes having to move around. But all that all that admin stuff's done by the by the computer, and if you ah, have it that's on, a good way. And it's compatible between different 
system. So if you've got it on iPad, you can play it with somebody on Android who can play it and on somebody with on the on Steam. Yeah, so yeah, that's the way we like to do one that goes across. Yeah, through the ages is good. It's a like a um, Civ game, but it's okay. really yeah, it's yeah. a really no, that fun good. competitive one. Through the ages and pandemic sounds like a good place to start. Yeah, no. There's actually, it's got a lot of good board game apps. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with Australian politics. So I guess where we, yeah, I tried to bring it back to Australian politics in the sense of where this is going to take. But at this point, it doesn't really matter. I suppose we're in the middle of where we are. There's not an election for a long time. And I guess we're all better off if they somehow stop being incompetent. And I guess we've got to wish them. <laughs> like, I, my father was being like, well, we, you know, you've got to, got to give them a go now. You've got to give them a go. And I'm like, well, don't have much faith because I haven't really been demonstrating that they deserve it to this point. But yeah, in the sense of we're all better, we're better off if a, if a government that I despise does a good job than if the government that I despise does a bad job. The reason I despise them is that I don't think they're going to do a job, good job. But if they start doing a good job, that's the issue. That's what I'm worried about. So yep. go ahead, prove yeah. me wrong. And, and if you have to prove me wrong by actually proving all of us on the left right by adopting the things that we've said you should be doing, that's fine too. Yep, yep. Let's just let's just move that Overton window way, way, way left. Yes, and, maybe uh, this is how it happens. Like, isn't it been a long-standing thing of it always seems to be going to the right? Like, when does it ever go to the left? Maybe this is the time that it does. Maybe in these kinds of calamities, everybody realizes, oh yeah, yeah, we are a society, not just an economy. Yeah, there are people. Maybe we, maybe we need things that look after people. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe this is the time. Maybe that. Maybe that's the good news. Maybe we are actually on our way to like demonstrating that we can look after each other, and that might even hold after there's a pandemic. Yeah. Now, Stilgarian, who did the podcast with me last week, uh, has recorded a stuck in my craw. Uh, it was on. I think he recorded on Friday. Uh, he's very angry in this stuck in my craw. Things are justifiably. <laughs> they are. They are. They are crawl bound. Um, those things. Uh, anyway, uh, here it is. Hello, I'm Stilgarian, and uh, what's sticking in my craw right now is the media, TM, uh, and in a broader sense, the people of Australia, that is, you, and it's all because of this novel coronavirus, COVID-19, and Elon Musk. Uh, I have been triggered, yes, triggered, uh, by something that Bernard Keane said on Twitter. Now, he's the political editor at Crikey. He said, and I quote, Federal Health Department's website now a full day out of date on case numbers. Why does this matter? How will it change people's lives if the figure is, quote, late, unquote? I mean, I ask this because I know personally that health data scientists are working double shifts right now to do contact tracing and to feed the epidemiologists' models. So for mine, updating a website should surely have a lower priority. And actually, actually, no, I'll say it more strongly. This feels like the media, TM, simply wants to update its little gloom tickers for more horse race journalism. And, you know, I'm not picking on Bernard Keane per se, just, well, everyone. We don't need to know every day. I reckon this just feeds the panic. Oh my God, it's up again. It's up again. And it's also silly because the confirmed cases figure as is wobbly as all get up. I mean, if people are infected, it can take two to 10 days before they show symptoms. If they do, then they have to realise that COVID-19 is a probable cause. Then they have to get tested and that takes days sometimes. So confirmed cases is 
Like, what does it even mean? Uh, you know, report on something else, if, if, s. Because I don't know the uh, language rules for this segment. But Bernard Keane is right about one thing. He also said, quote, lots of comments under the hashtag shut the schools are just variants of I hate Morrison, anything he does is shit. He won the last election, said Bernard, whether you like it or not, he's in charge of a major crisis. Critique his decisions with evidence, please, but relentless partisanship ain't helping. Now, I'll add to that what is really sticking in my craw. Where is a craw? Op-eds by people like the ABC's Laura Tingle, not to pick on her specifically again, but this analysis of how good was Scott Morrison's performance this time. Seriously, can we put away the poll-driven political horse race journalism for just a little while? And, and finally, I'm getting so, f- so f- uh, sick of all the noisy citizens who think they know better than all the world's epidemiologists and medical data scientists working double shifts on this pandemic because they heard from a friend's grandmother that there was a graph on Facebook. Elon Musk, for example, I mean, he's spreading BS about kids being immune to COVID-19, like they're not, and predicting that the US won't be getting any new cases past April, which which, I mean, might well be true because everyone will be dead by then because Trump is useless. Now, all all this is down to you, you pricks. The panic buying, the, quote, shortage, unquote, of basic food products, the whole thing. You people are the problem. And by God, when this is over, I will find you and deal with you, you stupid, ignorant, selfish, dumb people. There is no shortage. Anyway, that's enough from me for now. You've all been an incredible disappointment and you should think about what you've said and done. Uh, just quickly, as the person who's asked him to record a thing called Stuck in My Craw, Craw, uh, Craw is an animal's stomach, I think. I think that's where it comes from, that something's like sitting in there and yeah. you know, causing upset. I believe that's the, the etymology of the, the idiom. But um, as, well, as I understand it, like the craw is also like a, 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 claw, a crow's like claw, but I think, I think the craw in this sex is the... Stomach. That's what the relevant thing. Anyway, that's not really what what uh, that's not really a relevant response to what what Stuart had to say. I just thought I, it's always important when you're stuck listening to a podcast and people are very angry to learn what a word means. I think that's fair. I think that's fair, <laughs> and I also think literally everything he said was fair. I mean, I can see the value in knowing what the numbers are because they put pressure on the government to do something about it, and I think that it's useful to have. I think it would be more useful for the media to be pointing out how these numbers are massively undercounting because all of the people who would like to have tests who are not being tested, like the government saying that they were justifying a bunch of their earlier decisions. Oh my God, I, I didn't play the, but the audio of, of Scummo earlier in the week talking about how... So long as Australians keep being Australians, we'll get this through, we'll get through this together. You know, as long as Australians keep on Australianing, we'll be all Australian if Australians <laughs> with Australian-y and Australian, Australian-ness with Australian. Yes. You know. Yep. The stuff. Yeah, at this point, it's not the dumbest thing he's ever said, so let's move on. But the bit where they were justifying some of their measures being only about overseas people. Yep. So we're now, on Sunday, looking at actually the kind of things they should have been doing earlier. But there was a time when they were refusing to do these things and part of their justification was there's not that much transmission in the community. But the problem is that's based on figures which are dependent on people being tested, except they're not testing people just in the community. Of course, most of the numbers are from people who've been overseas because that's one of the criteria by which you qualified for a test. Yes, they were a bit self-reinforcing there. 
The thing that I do really, that really resonated to me uh, from what Stilgarian said, and I am so guilty of it, is I've spent so much of this week looking at the bloody John Hopkins University tracker and the numbers and seeing the numbers go up. And there's no purpose. It's kind of ghoulish. I don't know why I feel compelled to. And yet, literally, as I was listening to that, I was refreshing the JHU COVID tracker. <laughs> so, well, it's still useful. It's I don't agree that it's useless information. First of all, it's definitely relevant when the numbers start to go down again. It's re- relevant to know just how bad things are getting out there. Though, although the data is really dodgy because there's not enough tests, like it's still something. Like it's not like you can look out your window and see what's happening with the virus. But I probably only need to see that once a day. Sure. And if it's 24 hours late, that's fine. Sure. Don't refresh while you're recording a podcast. I'm happy to have that as a general, well, may we say advice, in the middle of recording a podcast, try not to refresh the the COVID-19 trackers. Or while you're watching your kid on the swing or while you're making dinner. While you're watching your kid on the swing, only do it like twice, maybe, at most. (laughs) Pushing swings is really, really boring. But anyway. Do you push from the front or the back? Because The back. She she insists on doing it. Thanks to Bluey, she insists on doing the 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 um the, the sort of hello go away game. It's like, oh, the, which which I'm I'm stopping because we've stopped now because she was using go away as a she was saying that outside that context and it's like nah um that's not a positive thing for you go away you know you don't want to have any more of that. But the other one is where where like as the swing comes towards you, you start a conversation. It's like yeah hello I wanted to chat and then as the swing goes away like it's, it's conversation. Like, yeah, she enjoys that one. That's quite cute. And that is probably the place to leave it. Erin, where can people find you? Uh, on social media, at Erin Riley AU on Twitter. Probably the best spot. Um, and if I can just give a little bit of a plug for Finderbed, which is an organisation that uh, I co-founded over the Christmas break, um, helping people find a place to stay during the bushfires. We're now looking for people who have holiday homes or other rental accommodation that maybe isn't being used at the moment uh, that they might be willing to make available for people who have to self-quarantine and don't have a place to do it. So That's fantastic. Anyone- I was going to ask what, it, what was happening with that now that we've got the quarantine situation that changed it because, because also because it can survive on surfaces. So that depends that that changes, but not indefinitely. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, given that there are a lot of people who need to self-quarantine and don't have a place to go, we're trying to to help out how we can there so if anyone has a holiday home or a granny flat any other kind of self-contained accommodation that is empty and would like to um, share it with someone who might be in need please get in touch with us we're at findabed.info that is fantastic all right well thank you to everyone for coming back to have another listen thank you to our patreon subscribers who keep the podcast going Thank you to Alex Lum for the artwork. Thank you to Robin Gray for the music. And we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye.